what happens to Harvard Business School MBAs after their first job? Do they still value the HBS MBA experience? Let's ask Ben Faw, who is a member of the HBS MBA class of 2014. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me for this, the 419th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Before we hear more about and from our guest today, I'd like to invite you to accept its next MBA masterclass, Get Accepted to Harvard Business School, which I will present on Wednesday, June 2nd. Come to the presentation to acquire a framework that you can use for any top MBA program, as well as focused, actionable tips for Harvard Business School's 2021-22 MBA application. Save your spot today at accepted.com slash 419 webinar. Again, that's accepted.com slash 419 webinar. I'd like to welcome back to Mission Straight Talk, Ben Faw, who was previously a guest on Mission Straight Talk way back in episode 59, just about seven years ago. At the time, Ben had just graduated from HBS and was about to take a position with LinkedIn. Prior to attending HBS, Ben attended West Point, the U.S. Army Ranger School, and served in Hawaii, Iraq, and Kuwait. What's happened since graduating from HBS? Let's find out from Ben. Ben, welcome to Admission Straight Talk. Thanks, Linda. It's a delight to be able to engage again. Now, when we last spoke, you had recently graduated or about to graduate from Harvard Business School, and you were about to start a position at LinkedIn. What's happened since then? Bring us up to date. Yeah, it's been a um, it's been a really interesting and and um, exhilarating journey. There's been um, a couple of twists and turns, but um, to start with, LinkedIn was super positive experience for me. Was able to get a, a lot of understanding around the technology, particularly the technology and the digital advertising ecosystem, and um, just a ton of exposure to what right can look like, uh, what what a top um, organization in the technology field can look like, and, and particularly what a what it takes to maintain a, a strong, positive culture. As you know, none of these cultures come for free. There's something you build and then have to maintain and got, got to see all of that. And then, um, you know, had worked with a classmate of mine from, from business school on a startup project that got to the point where I could actually join full time in the fall of 2015. So about a year and a half after business school, that company Best Reviews ended up growing quickly. And, and we sold that in early 2018 to Tribune Publishing, which is mm. time published at Chicago Tribune and several other newspapers for over 100 million. And, and from there, was fortunate enough to be able to help a lot with that integration, got a little bit of knowledge around the newspaper world, to transition to an advisory role there, and um, have built out a new software company called Advon Commerce, you know, leveraging a lot of the um, kind of insights and, and perspectives from working in that e-commerce and, and digital marketing world. Wow. That's quite a story for seven years. Whoa. You also got married. You forgot to mention that. That's another proof that <laughs> um, I got married the very end of the very end of 2019, which proved fortuitous given the um, situation that's unfolded in, in 2020. For sure. A couple of questions. Um, do you feel like you're still using your MBA degree? 
either the network, the education, looking back on the experience? Yeah, that's a great question, Linda. I personally believe, and and the data would prove it out, I use almost every aspect of the MBA every single day of the week. And that includes Saturday and Sunday. And I don't (laughs) always work all of those days. But for me, it's, it's the network that is used almost every single day. Um, for me, but certainly multiple days per week in in one capacity or another directly. And then indirectly, the lessons and insights from the network are every day. And then the the skills and and perspectives are an an everyday occurrence for me, whether it be thinking about the strategy, the, the financials, the marketing, each aspect is something that at least for my work has been a daily activity. So I um, couldn't be more grateful. And I, I frankly don't think I would have had the same level of success or accomplishments without the training, the network, and the, the, also the confidence that Harvard Business School and, and the MBA experience gave to me. Do you think the case method was a significant ingredient in, in that, that value proposition? I think in my own case, it was I, just because I learned well through that method. And for me, it provided, I think, a way to kind of truly see this in, in action in, a, in an actual scenario. And so I think in my case, it did. And I, one thing I had done was I actually wrote a small journal entry every day while at business school on kind of what I took away from the cases. So I think that process of like preparing for a case, experiencing a case in the classroom, and then that final kind of reflect on the case really helped the knowledge sink in a little bit deeper than it might have otherwise. That makes a lot of sense. Did you know when you started Harvard Business School that you wanted to be an entrepreneur in the tech space specifically? I thought it was a place that would be pretty interesting. And having done time at, at Tesla Motors prior to Harvard Business School, I had a little bit of taste more on the clean tech side of the industry, but there were some things about the tech world with um, within entrepreneurship in terms of some of the collegiality, some of the acceptance and almost um, encouragement of failure, the, the kind of never ending focus on learning that I thought were pretty unique and, and I thought aligned. Uh, at the same time, I kind of realized unless you've got a, a project and either you want to go alone or a team that you really want to be a part of, I think forcing entrepreneurship can be a mistake. And so for me, it was, I, I felt confident it would be something I'd pursue, but I felt like the timing would, would make sense. And I think for me, doing that first year and a half at LinkedIn was, was the right decision. Okay, great. It sounds like you also learned a lot at LinkedIn. Exactly. Your, I, think, I think without that foundation, and it, you know, it's interesting, once you get into the entrepreneurial world, particularly if you're going to do you know, any sort of meaningful partnership or, or a sale of a business, the counterparties almost always put some value, if not a lot, on the other brands you're associated with. And so in my own case, that's one of the areas where, where Harvard Business School and, and the MBA had an impact. When a, when a partner can see, okay, we, we like your business, we like what you're doing. However, you know, our superiors are going to have some points of concern. And when we can say, oh, this guy worked at Tesla, he worked at LinkedIn, he went to Harvard Business School, those are ways of kind of de-risking. West Point. Exactly. Awesome. None of these things ever hurt us. And, and yet, at least in conversations <laughs> that, that I've been a part of. And so I think I, I, in theory, could have just gone straight into entrepreneurship. Um, but I think I would have potentially been limiting myself over over the longer term because of that incremental training brand and and network from LinkedIn. Great insight. Thank you. In looking back on your MBA experience, 
Was there any particular class or extracurricular activity that you found more valuable, or should I say most valuable? And you can list more than one if there was more than one. Yeah, I've thought about that a, a decent amount, actually, kind of like, okay, what what were the things that maybe had the largest impact or that I took the most away from? And I think there's probably a, a couple that really stick out. One was um, I was fortunate enough to do a couple, actually three, I think, independent projects with um, then Professor Shrikant Daughter, now Dean Shrikant Daughter. And um, if you haven't met Shrikant, he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful person and also in, incredibly brilliant. And so the, the tutelage under his watchful eye and, and encouraging spirit was, was incredibly meaningful for me. And um, I think planted a lot of the seeds for how I've thought about design thinking and innovation, which has been a big part of all of my different business pursuits so far. The other I would say would be um, being incredibly deliberate about kind of how I allocated time I had a, a a smaller pool of you know a few dozen people that I got to know extremely well versus you know I know some people thought oh I'm gonna somehow like get some real like small set of relation uh, small set of knowledge on like every single person in the whole class and maybe that's right for some people but for me it was the right path to to kind of be a little more focused and and deliberate and I think those relationships and um, the way those people taught me things beyond the classroom itself was 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 incredibly impactful then and continues to be um, impactful today. That makes sense. Complete total sense to me. It's it's basically quality over quantity. Right? Exactly. Anything at HBS that you wish you would have done and you didn't get a chance to do, no matter how deliberate and and good you are at prioritizing? Yeah, I think I I came short on on, on numerous things. A couple that stand out and in hindsight I I I did not fully take advantage of the platform and in terms of like the various schools that exist inside of Harvard, I, my interactions at the law school, the graduate school design, the Kennedy school were very limited. That was a big miss um, looking back versus what, what could have been, I think, leveraging the overall kind of, I would call it greater Harvard education community, particularly MIT, which is just so nearby. Yeah. I didn't cross register for any classes and didn't get as deeply engaged with that community. Ironically, from my limited engagement, I did meet my um, now wife, but I think if I had been more engaged there, there would have been even more value. And then I, I don't think I probably took every opportunity. There's just, there's a lot of people who will engage with an MBA student and I didn't always take advantage of that. I think I was probably too reticent to, to reach out at times and leverage either the alumni network or even um, other people who didn't go to, to the particular school I was at who still would have engaged. Good to know. So it sounds like especially you, you, you got a lot out of your whatever engagement you did at MIT and uh, seems to have done pretty well with what you committed to at Harvard too. Now you have on some level realized the entrepreneurial dream, right? You founded a company, Best Review, you grew it. And within a few short years, you sold it for over $100 million, right? If somebody has that dream, okay, whether it's, even if it's not quite $100 million, it's, it's a nice, a profitable exit. Let's put it that way, okay? What should MBAs interested in entre- entrepreneurship, and specifically serial entrepreneurship, pursue or develop to, uh, to achieve uh, entrepreneurial success? Now, you already mentioned that you felt the brands you were associated with and the fact that post MBA you had a couple of years of work experience with LinkedIn, you know, in the in the high tech center, were really important to you. Anything else that you can think of? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really um, interesting question that, that I don't think I've actually been asked before. But I think there are three ingredients that I would recommend to really anyone who's going to business school or at business school and, and knows with a reasonable sense of certainty they want to take an entrepreneurial path. I think there are actually three things you could probably focus in on that are almost certain to pay off. One would be leadership skills. The other would be cross-functional skills. Okay. Um, and I would almost call it like general management skills. And, and I can get a little more specific. And then the, the last would be selling skills, actual sales. And, and the reason I would say that is if you can't lead anyone, your ability as an entrepreneur will be hampered, almost certainly. Um, you have to be able to lead on, on some level or another, or partner with someone who's very good at leading. And that could be a, a, a workaround. I was fortunate, right? I'd done a, a summer in banking. I had this leadership experience in the military. I had some so supply chain and tech experience from Tesla. And then at LinkedIn, I got direct experience selling as well. That understanding of a couple different functional areas, having worked in them and understanding of some different aspects of business was incredibly important because it's really tricky to think you're going to suddenly be able to tell marketing sales, engineering, and product, what to do if you know nothing about those functional areas. And then selling itself, I think, is is a cornerstone skill. There's this, there's zero entrepreneurs out there that I've met who um, don't have some selling abilities. I mean, people would like to demonize Mark Zuckerberg from time to time on many things, including like not really a sales guy, but guess what? He's been able to um, sell through some top tier recruits like Sheryl Sandberg, and that's as, as much selling as anything. Good point. He's also built a, I don't know, how many billion dollar. That was, that was really useful. I was kind of surprised that you, you listed leadership because, I mean, you were in West Point, you were in the military, you were in ranger school. I would have thought that you could have given a PhD in leadership after that kind of training. It's a valid observation. I think the tweak is the way and the means that you lead one group of people is not necessarily the same way you'll lead another group of people. And I think there's certainly someone out there who can jump straight from leading a, a military organization, maybe to leading one in the private sector. But for me, at least, I, I needed quite a bit of kind of retooling to be able to fit the situation. And in this, the, the core skills and practices, I think, are very, very similar. But the nuance and the application can be incredibly varied. So I think for me, that time in banking and at Tesla and at LinkedIn all helped me better adapt my leadership style to leading, you know, an entrepreneurial technology company versus leading a, a unit in the military. Well, I would assume that the latter is much more hierarchical. There I've never been that. in the military, but uh, so I am told. There is that. I mean, I was I was in a very nuanced situation, even in the military, where I was allowed to operate with a large degree of autonomy. Okay. Um, and then I was at a large degree of autonomy at, at LinkedIn in particular in, in the role I was in. But I think there's something to be said for being able to put in place and build certain processes. It's ironic, you know, you hear people thinking like, you know, these military guys are going to be super hierarchical. Some of them are, and, and you think they're very process oriented, and some of them are. However, building processes is not the same as following them. And if you think of people who are really good at building processes, it's actually not necessarily a military person. You yeah. could have someone who's done incredibly entrepreneurial things. They've never been a part of a bigger company, but they actually know how to build processes quite well because they've been forced to. Whereas the big company person from you know Google or whatever in tech or from the military, 
they may have very, very limited skills at building the process because guess what? Someone already built it for them. Makes sense. Thank you. Now you have your own new startup, right? Advan Commerce. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I can. It's uh, it's been an exciting journey. The um, one one of the insights from all the time at Best Reviews, and particularly through the Tribune um, integration acquisition, was there are all of these incredible curators of of content who built incredible publishing organizations, but you know they're simultaneously trying to digitally transform because they were print focused prior, whether they be a magazine or a newspaper or a trade journal. They're um, at the same time trying to build digital subscription models and they're trying to build digital advertising models. This is a lot to take on at once right. for anyone. And there's this opportunity in commerce that some of them see, some of them don't, but it's it's hard to simultaneously do two things at once, much less three or four. And so what, what I realized was there was an opportunity to build potentially tools, products, solutions for these publishing organizations to help them adapt and hopefully even thrive in a, a very kind of post-print digital world. And, um, you know, one of the exciting things about the Tribune experience was being able to help keep jobs in journalism. We were, you know, a profit center within a, a struggling company. And, um, you know, with, with Advan Commerce, we've been able to have similar positive impact where we can truly help companies and, and support high integrity journalism, which I think now more than ever maybe is an important aspect of, um, you know, w- what America stands for and, and what the world stands for. Or what the world needs, that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. We've, ta- we've talked about your experience in the MBA and valuable experiences for, for entrepreneurs at Harvard or, or immediately post. Would you have advice for any any similar advice for people before the MBA, let's say between college and business school? So it's a another question I'm not a, a asked very often, but I think there's a there's a place there for building out mentorship, I think. And if you can establish even one or two of those mentor relationships, I think that can be a really interesting time to to build that. And I think if it becomes a skill what you probably want to look like post MBA is in one of these places where you always have effectively both uh, a mentor relationship or more than one where people are giving perspective to you that you engage with. And then also a protege relationship where you're a mentor to perhaps someone who's pre MBA, perhaps they're in their MBA. So I think that that journey is is best begun prior to the, the MBA. And, and I was fortunate enough to have several mentors who helped kind of guide and and recommend me. And some of them have been to an MBA and some of them have not, but they each were able to offer unique perspectives and advice to me. And I just think if you start those relationships and that kind of process pre-MBA, you're, you're going to be that much better positioned for the kind of transition and, and the post-MBA roles and, and, and so forth. Great advice. And as you're giving it, I'm thinking of uh, two things. One, I remember reading Sheryl Sandberg's Leaning In, and she was, I think it was Leaning In, it was definitely her book, and she was saying, don't ask me if I'll be your mentor. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's a, a relationship that kind of develops organically both ways, whether you know, somebody becomes a protege or, or if you become a, or, or if somebody becomes your mentor. And I also remember, I don't remember the exact way you phrase it, but on your LinkedIn page seven years ago, you had something about, you know, if you're just interested in a transactional relationship, please just pass, <laughs> you know, just next profile, please. Something along those lines. Having I have had mentors also, but the again the relationships developed organically, and um, 
I like to think I've mentored some people along the way also. So how do you think these relationships develop? How do your mentor relations de- relationships develop? I completely agree with Cheryl Sandberg on that and, and with yeah. you. I've, I've never, never gone. Well, ironically, one of the companies I worked at did have a kind of a, a formal program yeah. and I was assigned a mentor, um, actually a couple of them. And um, it was positive. I got something out of those relationships. But ironically, the people from that organization that I would consider to be longtime mentors and I'm still connected with were not on the list in the company. So I, I agree with you. It's it's something that happens organically. And I think you you build a relationship and you build trust. And, and I feel super fortunate. I actually don't have any mentors who have kind of lost ties or, or been cut off from in any way. The, the same mentors that I had um, prior to going to business school, there's a longer list now, but the same mentors are, are still mentors I engage with on a, on a regular basis. It's just the list has, um, has expanded, which I'm, I feel fortunate about. And I think they can come from like very um, typical paths. And in my case, I was re- reaching out to some people inside my network for advice as I was preparing for business school and transitioning out of the military, that produced a, a pool of, of mentors of mine. And then it kind of at each, I would call it career transition. I've been able to check in with, with those mentors and I'll almost inevitably end up with like another mentor to through the transition process. Cause suddenly when you're in a different seat you move from a LinkedIn to a best reviews as an entrepreneur, there's a pool of people who have either context or interest in that co-founding experience. And so they're going to be added to your list in a, in a unique way. Right. Now, one other thing that you've emphasized in this interview very much is the, the value of brand. I don't think that's arguable. And certainly you have lots of top, top brands on your resume. Now that you're hiring people, I assume you're also weighing brand. If you're hiring MBAs, are you looking at M7 only or you know Harvard, Stanford, Wharton only, or do you have a wider pool? Yeah, that's a great question and um, one that I think about quite a bit. From our organization, do we, do we value brands? Do we understand brands? Certainly. Our view is brands are a signal, but they're not the only signal by any stretch of the imagination. I, I just took a call with a potential recruit last night who's definitely not from from an M7, definitely not even a top 20, I don't think, um, MBA program. Instead, we think a lot, and this is every company has its own things they're, they're really focused on. We think a lot about we can't train hungry and hungry is incredibly important mm-hmm. in, in the entrepreneurial world. There's many roles where it doesn't matter, but in our org, it does matter. We, 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 we just can't negotiate with hungry or, or not. We can't teach you to be smart or to learn quickly. And if you have that attribute, that's incredibly important. And, and we can't teach a, a good attitude. Those are actually our, our big three. And, and sometimes, you know, these brands can be sorting and filtering factors for some of those attributes, but in many cases, not, not so much. And so we, we try to really optimize for those things and be just uber transparent <laughs> right out the gate. Like these things are incredibly important to us as a company. And so if there are things, if these are things that also describe you and that are important to you, that's awesome. Cause that's, that's where we're going to start. And that'll open, open up the, up the doors. Ironically, we do have some, some very branded people, but we also have some people who you wouldn't be familiar with any of the brands who have done incredible things for, for the company. So I, I would say that we just always try to keep an, an open mind and it, it can be a part of the mix for sure. 
but it's certainly not something that's like all consuming or, or any gating item in our Got opinion. It. Got it. Thank you. What are your plans going forward? Do you see yourself as a serial entrepreneur? I have been asked that question. I, I think sure I, um, I want to optimize for certain things that make entrepreneurship a good fit for at least the, the time being. I don't know that it means always, but, but it's, it's just, it's so hard to find the ability to make such a meaningful impact in, in such a short period of time. And it, it's so hard to be able to work only with the people that you really want to, to work with. And I think it's hard to be so aligned, you know, economically and incentive-wise. Like if, if our businesses do real well, I'll do well and I'll be able to use that that resource to to help other people. If I'm doing a really well in a role for, you know, company X, well, suddenly their stock is going to do well potentially and 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 their you know, shareholders and so forth will do well, but th- they may choose to to use that money to to support something that I'm completely not excited about, and and that's that's I think a a, a bummer given that we have such a I think particularly in the recent world a reminder that like life is not infinite. There's a there's a sh- there's a short tenure we have, and um, doing things I think that are super non impactful or we're not passionate about is something I think you have to be real careful with. Great. Thank you. Now, you might have already answered this, but I'm going to ask it again, if it's okay with you. When we spoke way back in 2014, you had recently written an article about things you had and had not learned at HBS, including the value of an MBA experience. And you're smiling because you know what I'm going to say. You wrote then, quote, we will graduate from Harvard Business School in a few days with many authentic relationships that have already been incredibly rewarding and made us better versions of ourselves. These amazing bonds are priceless and define our experience here, helping us learn that people matter far more than money. Do you agree with what you wrote then? Yeah, I agree with it even more than I did then probably. Um, having had some level of what some might consider to be um, you know, financial or, or monetary success, you know, for me, it's, it's certainly something I'm, I'm very grateful for. But I think the alternative side of the coin is I actually have got, I feel like an incredible pool of accomplished and and talented and um, just incredibly interesting friends. And and even of my pool of friends, I, I feel incredibly fortunate in the the relationships that I have throughout not just the US, but the, but the whole world. I think that if I value, um, you know, my own kind of life from a relationship perspective, it's just so, um, so incredibly rich that it's um, by far the, the the kind of most valuable resource that I have. You know, without Harvard Business School, it wish wouldn't be nearly as rich. And, and the things that have um, transpired post have only opened even more of those same doors to, to even more incredibly authentic and frankly, exciting relationships. It goes back to quality. Exactly. Yeah. You, I don't think, I don't think there's an infinite quantity, but Boy, there is more quantity than I expected. I kind of felt like I had this pool of you know friendships I'd built and relationships through the the military and and West Point and so forth. And I was like, if I if even if you know Harvard Business School's two years versus four years of undergrad, even if I have half the same quantity come out, you know, it's a huge win and it's worth every penny of of the costs. And um, <laughs> I couldn't have been more wrong in terms of you can end up, I think, through all the different kind of secondary effects and, and so forth, you can end up with an even larger pool of um, authentic relationships from HBS and, and from business school in general than, than from your undergraduate experience. And I never would have expected that because it is shorter. Mm-hmm. 
but because it ties in so deeply with like the rest of your life in many cases it's it's just one relationship leads to another there's individual friends i have from business school who because of them i have literally a handful of other friends now because they've introduced me to their friends that we end up you know connecting on any number of levels so it's it's an incredible flywheel effect it's it's a positive perspective on networking it's when you you do create meaningful relationships with people it does create a network it's and it's a powerful network but it's it's not the what's in it for me kind of networking that you get at uh, mixers and you know i don't know the stuff that's not fun what would you have liked me to ask you i think one interesting question is is um what's the what's the biggest challenge of 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 the mba kind of the biggest challenge in in terms of the the experience and then kind of how you how you leverage it that's one that I haven't been asked that I think could be interesting. And I, I think for me, the, the biggest challenge remains, and I think people talk about it and that you hear about it, but it isn't, you can't talk too much about the fact that there are, there's always four right choices and four doors to go through and, and four different things to do with that 12 o'clock appointment. And I think I didn't fully appreciate, despite being, I think a person who's pretty good at like time management and prioritization, just how many competing good choices there would be. And I think that's the biggest challenge of the MBA. And what I think is incredible about it is if you can really nail it, that doesn't go away. So even now I feel incredibly fortunate, but I know I'm not alone. There's almost always four interesting ways to make a slight career change or four or five places I could live or four or five calls I can take at at 7 p.m. and and how you weigh and, and measure and make the trade-offs on, on what to do with that, frankly, most precious resource of, of time is, I think, the, 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 the biggest challenge of the MBA and, and arguably the biggest opportunity if you can really nail internal processes and practices that don't create a fear of missing out, don't create a, a bunch of like regrets. Instead, they kind of create confidence in your process and in, in how you approach time management. I think that can just be an incredible foundation for for the rest of your professional and frankly adult life because it just, it won't in most cases if you have any level of success it will not get easier it will get progressively harder and harder because there's just more and more competing you know tasks and, and opportunities for, for your time. That's true. That's a great perspective. Well, thank you for that. It's also uh, I think one of the big not just of the MBA I think it's just challenges of life <laughs> is determining what's important to you and balancing those different priorities and the demands on your time. You're right. There always are at least four different ways that you can spend a half hour or an hour. And that me even more, that makes me even more appreciative that you chose to spend the last 35 minutes here with me on this podcast. Cause I know there's a lot of different ways you could spend your time and this is all, all giving on your part. So I want to thank you again, Ben, for joining me and for sharing your perspective and your experience. Congratulations. It's been obviously incredible seven years for you personally and professionally. Where can listeners learn more about you and about Advon Commerce? Yeah, thanks, Linda. We've got um, our site is just advoncommerce.com. It's pretty easy to, to, to find us. I'm on LinkedIn and have some of my blog content up on um, just benfall.com. So pretty straightforward stuff and always nice to, to hear from people and have some writing out there that may or may not be helpful. I certainly hope it is, is helpful. I saw one of your articles. I shared it with my husband right away, and we both thought it was very, very helpful and very good. So thank you again. We're going to link to benfa.com, ad, advoncommerce.com, and related podcasts and articles 
including our previous interview with Ben Fall when he had just graduated, all from accepted.com slash 419. Thanks to you, listener, for tuning in. Again, I invite you to the upcoming Get Accepted to Harvard Business School webinar. Reserve your seat now by registering at accepted.com slash 419 webinar. And a final request, if you find the show worthwhile, please share the good word by leaving a review on iTunes. Your doing so helps us spread the news about Admission Straight Talk. Plus, leaving that review will enroll you effortlessly in the Thank You for Your Review contest. One listener a month who leaves a podcast review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, will win a free 20-minute consultation with me. You can leave your review at lovethepodcast.com slash AST. I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you. This is a Mission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.